0: Welcome to the podcast, Energy Medicine, where we are aligning your mind, body, and spirit with energy based modalities. With your host, Dr. Mary Sanders, a medical intuitive and chiropractor. Let's join the podcast. Today's guest is Dr. Lori Nadal. Dr. Lori has been helping people recover from catastrophic life events since 1990. Her first career as a full-time journalist ended when she developed chronic fatigue syndrome from overwork. She is the author of seven books, including The Five Gifts, Discovering Hope, Healing and Strength When Disaster Strikes, with a foreword by veteran journalist Dan Rather. Thank you for joining us. I am your host, Dr. Mary, and I invite you to subscribe to this podcast and visit my website at www.drmarysanders.com to download your free gift to boost your energy centers to experience more clarity, purpose, and vitality. We'll be right back after this quick break. Welcome back to today's show. With me today is a phenomenal human and beautiful spirit, and her name is Dr. Lori Nadell. Dr. Lori has had a dual career in journalism and psychology. After 20 years of working for such major organizations such as CBS and ABC News, Rutgers Television, and and Newsweek, she's recognized that people whose lives were shattered by disasters would need long-term support. After she burned out from working on the Iran Contra Healing, she was disabled by chronic fatigue syndrome for nearly three years. As there is no conventional medical treatment, this led her to learn more meditation and to study alternative methods of healing. After she recovered, she wrote several books, including the four-time bestseller, Sixth Sense, Unlocking Your Ultimate Mind Power. The first book to report on the Pentagon's secret psychic espionage program, Sixth Sense launched the psychic revolution and led her back to graduate school where she earned doctorates in psychology and clinical hypnotherapy with a focus on stress and health and PTSD. Since opening her practice in 1990, she's helped survivors and first responders impacted by the September 11th attacks on the World Trade Center. Hurricane Sandy, the Parkland school shootings, the surfside building collapses, and long COVID. Now she's offers daily Zoom support projects for the Maori fire survivors. And I Dr. Lori and I were talking before we started the podcast today, and I don't think that there's any irony in the fact that today is the eve as to when hurricane idea will be hitting or embarking upon Florida tomorrow. So we get to have this conversation and know that it's timely. Unfortunately, the episode won't be released for a couple of weeks, but this message is very timely. And today's title of the podcast is How to Find Hope, Healing and Strength When Disaster Strikes. Dr. Lori, Thank you for taking time out of your schedule today to be with us on the podcast, Energy Medicine. Welcome. Thank you so much for having me on your show and for your interest in my work. I really appreciate it. Mm, The honor is all ours, the listeners and mine. So thank you. I appreciate it. And Dr. Laurie, I know that your story, I've had the opportunity because I've actually read your book. I have understand your personal story. And I, if you are open to it, would you please start by sharing your personal story as to how you ended up here, literally today, sharing this message with us? Well, thank you for asking. My first
1: career was in journalism. I worked in uh, TV news for 20 years and was a reporter for Newsweek in South America, worked in uh, Chile during the state of siege after a military dictatorship come into power. And as a result of doing a, a lot of work, what we now call breaking news, but these are really mass casualty events in which, you know, dozens to thousands of people are suddenly violently killed and injured, I came to realize that, you know, the people who we were writing about and the pictures that we were seeing, these people would never be the same. And so I remember mentioning it to my partner in the newsroom, I said, what happens to these people? And they said, who cares? And so eventually, because I, we had so much work to do, the news is, uh, it's unrelenting. And you work very very long hours in these shops, and uh, we had Iran Contra hearings that went on, you know, for I mean, a very very long time. And uh, eventually, I I came down with chronic fatigue, and I think every everybody I was working with got sick from overwork. And I ended up literally on bed rest for three years, and that's when, and actually, I no longer had access to the stimulation the adrenaline of working in the news business. And I came to realize I was probably an adrenaline junkie. And that's why I loved it so much. You know, the, the difficulty in talking about it is realizing that, you know, life as I knew it stopped. And I suddenly found that I I had to go into my inner world. And I, I really never knew that I had an inner world. And so I had to learn meditation. I had to study different types of healing. I studied the work of Dr. Herbert Benson, who was one of the fathers of mind-body medicine. Eventually, I was actually able to train with him at Harvard School of Mind-Body Medicine. But I didn't really have a clear path forward. I just knew that I was going to have to figure out what to do with myself. I was going to have to figure out what to do with myself when I got better. My marriage was falling apart. My husband wasn't able to cope with me having chronic illness. We had a we had a baby at the time and I knew that I was going to end up being a single mom. So eventually I was able to start writing. And the book that I wrote that really opened the way for me to change careers was a book about the psychology of intuition and multiple intelligences and how the mind is so much greater than what we think it is. And because of, of my experience in the amazing experts and and people. I got to meet and interview for my book, Sixth Sense. I went back to graduate school and completed work in um, cognitive psychology and clinical hypnotherapy, and then opened an office to focus on helping people who were like me, dealing with trauma, stress, and health issues, and post-traumatic stress, which was something that I myself had been diagnosed with as a result of my experience working for Newsweek in, during a war zone. So I kind of, I guess I, I drew upon my own adversity and channeled it into trying to learn as much as I could about how the mind could work to help people to overcome adversity and to heal from these life, life-shattering events. You know, somebody's walking to work and a building falls down and they end up with a critical injury. And I've worked with many people like that. Or, you know, you're sitting at your desk on a Tuesday morning and a plane flies into the building. Look what happened in Lahaina. I mean, people got up in the morning and they thought they were having a normal day. And suddenly fire just, you know, destroyed the entire community. We have a hurricane that's a Category 3 that's bearing down on the Gulf Coast of Florida. I'm on the Atlantic Coast of Florida. It doesn't look like we will be seriously impacted by that. But my life was seriously I say, destroyed, but my home was destroyed by a Category 2 hurricane in 2012. Hurricane Sandy wiped out my home and everything that I had built after I recovered from chronic fatigue. So I'm very much aware from my own life and also from the great privilege that I've had professionally in working with people who were going along in normal and then suddenly you know, kind of like the you say the hand of spirit or the hand of God or something inexplicable happened, and left them with a sense of horror and helplessness and no landmarks to the normal psychological terrain that they were used to navigating in their day to day life, and that's really been you know kind of the focus and and purpose of my life work for the last thirty something years. So yeah. I kind of digged and and got there the hard way.
0: Hmm. Thank you so much for sharing your story. I have to say personally, because journalism is not my my background, and I have to express a tremendous amount of gratitude that you actually had the wiring to do journalism as effectively as you did for the number of years that you did. I know for myself, personally, being as sensitive as I am, I have a limit. I have a cap as to how much news I can read in a given week. And so I know that I, I I set those limits and I say, okay, I've got 10 minutes, that's my timer, that's all I'm going to read. And, you know, maybe somebody would accuse me as being, you know, less than informed. But quite honestly, I find the news today to be quite negative And... Sometimes, you know, in catastrophic events, you know, they give you the overall picture and you feel and you sense the hardship that's occurring, but it's almost like the feeling or the essence that once that they're done covering this news, this news event, that you think that it's just come to an end. Right. And it hasn't come to an end for those people that survived those events, But in our mind, because the news is no longer covering it, we think that it's done and, you know, one and done. And it's not. And I think that that's what you were sharing with us in just a moment ago in that the emotional well-being of the victims, it's a hardship. And in your book, which I really enjoyed reading, you talked about the hardship, not only physically and what happens, you know, within their community and what happens financially and what happens spiritually to these people. And what about our person to share this because you've reported on it and also had your own personal experience. So are you comfortable talking more about, you were talking about how you're wiring, like you were an adrenaline junkie, like your body was wired in sympathetic dominance. You kept looking for that next, I'm simplifying, but you kept looking for the next event. I am am
1: an adrenaline junkie. I mean, I'm recovering adrenaline junkie, but I have an adrenaline. So the excitement of, you know, the, the action. And even when I started my, you know, my psychology practice, I work in the office. I would work in the office a few days a week, but on the weekends, I, I, you know, my, my hobby was doing adventure reporting for the New York times and I would go out on the water with uh, fishermen and lobstermen and, you know, kite surfers and I was windsurf. I mean, I, I really was like a, I was always and pursued what we call e-words, you know, euphoria, ecstasy, excitement, you know, it's always just like, like very extreme edge. But that pursuit of the edge eventually led me into Buddhist meditation and practicing bringing that connection to that, that when, when we're right on, on the edge of time or we're right on the edge of, say, the light and the water, or we're, we're right in between, you know, time and space, there's like an opening that happens. And unfortunately, disaster also has that trauma, disaster also, it opens up that almost like that void between time and space. It's like linear time disappears. The normal path you thought you were walking on, suddenly it's gone and you don't have any landmarks. And so, you know, for me as a recovering adrenaline junkie, there was something that I was able to do was to sit with people. And, you know, meet them where they were and be able to say, you know, you will get through this. Yeah, there will be growth that comes out of this. There are, I don't want to say there are blessings, there are gifts. And so I wrote my book, The Five Gifts. There's a soulfulness to the connections that we develop with other people when we've lost everything that builds lifelong connections we see that, you know, in the news with the, you know, there are a lot of stories now about the spirit of community, the, the spirit of Maui. I think it's very important. But what you said is, is quite profound because the help cycle lasts about two months and the media cycle is much shorter than that. And, you know, we as a society, we're, we're all addicted to screens. And so, you know, when the disaster is no longer on the screen, the mind is looking, you know, for the next, you know, little bit of, you know, excitement or we used to call it, in the newsroom, we used to call it bang, bang. You know, where's where's the next, what's the next explosion that, you know, that we can put on the screen? Clinically, I mean, I used to have nightmares the first few years I started working in the news and I would see the outtakes of all of the, the people, the burning babies, the starving children, the mothers, you know, the dead bodies that never made it to the air. And I would have flashback dreams at night. And then I would try to talk about it. And I asked other people, and I think other people that I worked with, everybody had insomnia. So I used to say, well, you think maybe we're affected by all of these images that we're working with, all the footage that we're working with. And everybody looked at me like I was, you know, like, like I was weird. So eventually I came to kind of understand that I was weird and I didn't really fit in that culture, but I was very grateful for the training because it's kind of like a clinical training. You learn how to bear witness to suffering. You learn how to be accurate in describing the suffering that you are presenting to the world through the medium, um, in this case, of television or news writing or news magazine writing, and tried to do it in a way. At least, from and I think most people I worked with in that era were respectful as journalists. But they knew that people were suffering. They knew that people were struggling. The people I know were really excellent producers, award-winning producers. They had tremendous hearts for the work and for the people whose lives they were connected with when they were out in the field. It doesn't come across that way when you're watching the news, but a lot of heart, a lot of effort goes into the process of, of gathering the stories of people.
0: Yeah, and I believe that I work. do. Not easy work. I want to go back to something that you. I want to go back and unpack some really profound wisdom that you just shared, and that was making the analogy between the space of the void that you tap into in meditation. That space-time continuum doesn't really exist, and then in the same breath, Dr. Laurie, you said the same thing happened at a moment of trauma. When one is undergoing a catastrophic event, that same feeling, that spaciousness of where that time, you know, the linear concept of time no longer exists. Mm -hmm. And I believe that to be true. I personally have experienced it, but you're the first person who's really kind of made that parallel between trauma and the space of which you can achieve or you strive to achieve in meditation. So I like, I love actually that your sound judgment that you're bringing to this episode, you know, is pretty matter of fact, you know, it's factual, you're, you're a historian as a journalist, and you're also bringing in the spiritual element that you've, I mean, obviously within hypnotherapy and psychology and your advanced training with the mind body connection, I think it's just exquisite. It's beautiful. So Thank I you. love hearing your perspective about this, yeah. And when I was reading your book, I mean, I, I took several notes. So can we start talking about your book? Is that okay? Thank you. Of course. All right. Yeah. So we've got the book with the title is "The Five Gifts." And what Dr. Lloyd does, she talks about humility, patience, empathy, forgiveness, and growth. And she talks about this as it pertains to living through and experiencing a catastrophic event. And so with, and I understood, and and Dr. Laurie, I hope that you can shed some light on this, and that when we were talking about, you know, being post-traumatic syndrome in psychology, in positive psychology, specifically with Dr. Martin Seligman talks about post-traumatic growth. Right. And what did that look like? I mean, you drew a beautiful diagram. It was a pie diagram, a circular graph, and you broke it down into thirds. And you talked about, you know, you're, if you go through a catastrophic event, chances are 33% is going to respond one way, another 33%, and another way, another, and then yet another third. And would you shed light on what it means to be in a post-traumatic Explain post-traumatic stress syndrome and then shift it into post-traumatic growth, if you could. Well, that's a it's a, a great question.
1: When I talk post-traumatic stress is a term that that we use, for, and I I heard it described very uh, beautifully actually in a, a training I did recently with first responders. Really talking about the emotional aftershocks that can happen weeks or months or even years after a sudden violent event that fills you with a sense of helplessness and horror. So that's that's like the trademark of what constitutes a a traumatic or catastrophic event. You were helpless to prevent it. You survived it or you witnessed it or somebody close to you was harmed by it or somebody close to you witnessed it. It could be a near miss on the highway. Actually, you can develop post-traumatic stress from watching disturbing images on your phone you know we're very susceptible to the psychological impact of visuals and we're watching catastrophic as soon as you turn on your phone i mean you you get a news feed so we're constantly subjected to these and they kind of lodge you know in the unconscious or in the subconscious and we may swipe them away or we may you know change the channel so to speak but You know, we may find that a few weeks or a few months later that we find that we are re-experiencing the helplessness and horror that we felt when we first saw that story or when we had the near miss on the highway or when we smell. you know, like the people in Maui probably for many years will be triggered by the smell of that wood smoke. I know that after September 11th, there was a very strange, acrid smell that was a combination of chemicals, burnt steel, and something. I know this is kind of disgusting, but it smelled kind of like barbecue. But it was really all the human beings who perished, you know, in that disaster, and that smell like lingered in the air for well over a year. And those of us who were working downtown or who lived downtown will still, you know, reference. you remember the smell? Fortunately, it's not something that you smell. I haven't smelled it in any other context, but they probably will have a similar kind of acrid smell in Lahaina that you know that may come back from time to time, and that will open up. You know, all of our emotions are stored as molecules, and so those molecules can get or they're archived, and you can have positive molecules, like you can smell turkey roasting in an oven and it can take you back to your favorite Thanksgiving where you can hear music and you can remember the great time you had, you know, going to the beach with your best friend or your partner, you know, I mean, any of the five physical senses can reactivate, you know, that re-experiencing feeling. But with trauma, we experience the helplessness and horror and the body feels as though you're about to go through it again. You develop fear, avoidance, anxiety, a feeling like your body feels hot wired. Like you want to jump out of your skin. You have something called a startle response, where a sudden noise can just you know cause you to just jump like right like like physically jump. So that whole constellation is what we call post-traumatic stress. There's a certain point where you know the the mind and the body. Very often it happens organically. I mean, not everybody referenced that, that pie graph. About a third of people will develop post-traumatic stress to the extent that they really are disabled by it. I have a certain number of people I've worked with over the years who I've had to help get social security because they really can't work, they cannot function in the outer world because they're disabled by the physiology of post-traumatic stress. A third of us, myself included, will occasionally get triggered and have flashbacks, but we'll be able to kind of re-enter the stream of life, and we'll be able to love and you know have relationships and work and you know go out and have fun. But from time to time, there'll be that bar of music, or there'll be that smell, or there'll be that breeze, or you'll see an image on TV or something. Will bring it back, and the body will feel as if it's happening again now. And then a third of us will somehow, through the magic of the psyche, which which is our unconscious, the the body and the mind, we want to heal. We have a healing intelligence. There's a part of us that knows how to, the word we use with trauma is metabolize. So there's a part of the mind that knows how to metabolize something which is unconscionably horrifying, so horrifying that the You can't logically understand how did it happen? Why did it happen? You take it in, how can you make sense of it? You'll probably never be able to make sense of it, but you'll have to come to terms with it. And as you begin, and that's kind of the acceptance stage of grief, it happens over time. And as you come to accept that this horrible, horrifying, bigger than life event happened, then you can kind of begin to put the pieces together and you can look back at that event and say, you know, I wish it had never happened to me. I'd never wish it on anybody else. But if it hadn't happened, I wouldn't be who I am today. I wouldn't have met all these amazing people. I wouldn't have had all these incredible experiences. I wouldn't have been able to receive the guidance and strength and spiritual support that I received. I would never have been able to offer the friendship and connection that I've had, I would not be as real, as authentic as I am now if I had not gone through that. And that's what, go back to what we're talking about, when when that space-time continuum kind of blows apart and you go to put your foot down and there's no ground underneath you, you know, you're, you're on your way to work and suddenly... You know, it's like there's a bomb that goes off and whether it's metaphorical or whether it's an actual bomb, the path that you thought you were proceeding on that day, it's gone and there were no there's no map for where how are you going to get from today to tomorrow? You no longer know and you really get thrown into this kind of moment by moment survival. How you integrate that, how you connect with others while you're coming to terms with the fact that, you know, normal as you experienced it doesn't exist. And there's really no such thing as a new normal because living with horrific pain is never normal. But you come to, as I said, you digest it in some way. And you find a way to connect with others and and to keep going and to have some kind of hopefully soul or spiritual connection to something greater than yourself. I think, you know, as indigenous people that connection comes through nature. And I think that's, you know, what really has profound healing effect when we can, you know, take a moment to let our soul catch up during the day and look at the rain on the window or take a walk or you know, go to a garden, or you know, look at the sky or the ocean and that that is a tremendous healing effect for us. And through that we grow and then we can look back and we're no longer looking at the world through that traumatized eyes of our soul and the broken places of our heart. You know, we're looking at the world through a different lens because we've become a different person because of that horrible journey.
0: Yeah. I really appreciated in your book how you provided, you blended quite eloquently, the practical knowledge Like, okay, readers, you're looking, you're reading this book for a reason, expect the unexpected. This is a checklist of what you need to do to get all of your papers in order that if you survive a catastrophic event, then it's going to be easier for you. So you give those kind of checklists. And then in further in the chapter, your heart-based wisdom comes through and says, oh, by the way, here's some emotional wisdom for you. So your emotional first aid, here are some tricks that you can do. And oh, by the way, if that's not enough, then here we have some homeopathic remedies that we can suggest that you use in a time of trauma. So you really did cover the whole gamut as to how to support the whole person or the whole community as a result of trauma. And I can't remember the statistic, but or nor the number of people that will experience the catastrophic event in their lifetime, but it's pretty prevalent that each individual will have at least one event that will classify as a true catastrophic event. So your wisdom should be, you know, again, we're talking about energy medicine and I wanted to bring up that you Brought in and I noticed that you talked about connecting with nature you talk about the importance of grounding and staying connected to yourself and to your routines and to exercise and you know connecting with meditation and you gave like for every Five of the gifts that you mentioned in the book, you gave essentially the tips, the essentials. What can you do essentially for five minutes a day to support empathy? What can you do five minutes a day to support your healing in forgiveness? And you even talked about the two different types of forgiveness, whether it be decisional versus emotional, and so much wisdom is in this book. And this is how many books have you written, Doctor Lori? I don't know, seven or
1: eight.
0: I think and I lost. And you're just lost a one. you're a prolific writer. You're a prolific writer, yeah. and somehow the content of this book, like I said, has practical, it has emotional, it has energetic, and spiritual. So. I'm, you know, needless to say, I'm a fan, so. Thank you so much. Thank you.
1: You know, when you write a book, you sit in a room by yourself for a year or more and you wonder whether anybody's ever going to read it. And nothing builds humility like walking into a Barnes & Noble and you see thousands and thousands of books and you go like, Is my little book here on the shelf. And you kind of wonder, you know, is anybody ever going to, you know, really take it to heart. So I'm so grateful to you for having read it and for having found something
0: of merit in those
1: pages. It means the world to me. Thank you.
0: Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I think anybody that picks up the book is going to benefit from your pearls of wisdom. So I just, before we depart ways, I just want to express my heartfelt gratitude. I know that with your life experiences in journalism and having, and I'm sorry, you had to go through the life experience of the burnout and the chronic fatigue and and going full circle, going full circle where now you're showing up for others as the healer and as a facilitator. Can you share a little bit about, I mean, I don't mean to sound trite when I say this, but obviously those people that gravitate to you for your services primarily are those that are recovering from some trauma or from some catastrophic event is that correct yes
1: that
0: is correct yes and 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 then
1: how, how do you how are you i'm sorry people i think people are guided to me through word of mouth you know usually it's uh I don't market, you know, online, you know, per se. I mean, I was very grateful that you found me on, I I love LinkedIn. I mean, I'm so glad that we connected on on LinkedIn, but, you know, people kind of find me through word of mouth and, you know, I'm grateful if I have something that I can contribute to somebody's, you know, healing.
0: And would it be safe to assume that that prospective, Clients or patients that would like to reach out to you personally, that if they connect via your website, that they'll find a opportunity, like an email or uh, an opportunity to schedule and to read more about your services? Yes, yeah, there is a contact link on their website. The
1: website's kind of being redesigned, but if you go to laurienadel.com, there's a contact link and that, that will send an email directly to me. Okay.
0: And listeners, um, you know, you know that you I'm going to post all of this information in the show notes. So it'll, all of her links will be active. But I, for those of you that are listening, she spells her name L-A-U-R-I-E-N-A-D-E-L. So any of her social media contacts, her website and her email are her name, Dr. Lori Nadell. And I sincerely, I invite you to reach out to her in the event that you're looking for additional tools in overcoming trauma and catastrophic events, the hardship that one endures. Please recognize that you don't need to endure it on your own. There is help available to you, specifically Dr. Lori. So I hope that you all listen find the courage to reach out to her if she can be of service. I'm sure she would be welcome you with an open and warm heart. So, Once again, Dr. Lori, thank you so, so very much for taking time out of your day. I know that as we speak, you've got a a lady in your home in which is escaping the hurricane, coming into Florida, so you're a safe refuge for her, as I know that you have been for many in the past. So thank you for being who you are and standing up and energetically doing what it is that you do.
1: Thank you so much, and thank you for your kind words and I really appreciate your interest in my work and your great talent as an interviewer. I've done many, many interviews and it's very rare that I cry.
0: Thank you. You're very kind. And listeners, please stay tuned for this short message as we will return. You have been listening to the podcast, energy medicine, where we are aligning your mind, body and spirit with energy based modalities. For more information about Dr. Mary Sanders or our podcast, please check out our website at www.drmarysanders.com. Thank you for listening.